Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. So uh, let's, let me just open in prayer, and then we're going to dive into the Word today. So Father, we thank you for your Word. God, we thank you that you are speaking to our life. Every time we open your Word, God, you breathe life into us. You give us revelation. God, I pray that we would not leave here the same, but we leave here challenged and changed in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. So uh, today I want to finish off. Uh, I started last week talking about where is God in your storm? Where is God in your storm? So today, uh, this is part two of that message. And before we start, it's very important that um, we see from the right perspective. How many know we have to see through the, through, the, through the right perspective? I love Isaiah chapter 25, verse 4. We're going to bring it up on the screen there. This here says, but you are a tower of refuge to the poor, O Lord. A tower of refuge to the needy in distress, you are a refuge from the storm and a shelter from the heat. For the oppressive acts of ruthless people are like a storm beating against a wall. It's very important to understand this is that, that when we talk about storms, it's not that we're trying to put a heavy, but we're realizing that the storms come to everyone. How many know everyone will experience, if you're breathing, you're going to experience storms in life? But, but God, in all we're talking about today, we need to realize that God is a shelter. He's a refuge from the storm. He's a shelter from the heat. Isn't that good news? And so as believers, we can go into the presence of God and we can have shelter. We can have comfort. Okay, you know, very interesting, a few years ago, about 20 years ago now, it seems like a few years ago, um, I, uh, I was an extra in a movie. Uh, it was a four-hour movie production by CBC. It was called Dieppe. Now, Dieppe was the war, they call it D-Day, when the Canadian soldiers, I think it was around 600 soldiers, stormed the beaches of Normandy, and it was a bloodbath. As the Canadian soldiers went into the beach, they were shot by the Germans, and it was, it was a horrible thing that happened. But anyway, it was in this movie, and, and it was produced here in Picton, and I'll show you a picture here. And this was back, um, so this, this was the movie crew all set up. This was the barracks uh, in Picton, Ontario, the old barracks. And you can see all, they're all wearing shorts. And the reason why they were wearing shorts is because it was really, really hot. This was in June or July. Uh, very hot. And here's a, the next picture uh, is a picture of me and my friend. Now, that I'm not that fat. You just, the picture's been elongated, actually. Um, yeah, so. But anyway, so that's me and my friend. Anyway, So we're wearing these World War II uniforms, which are like an eighth of an inch thick. I don't know if you know how thick that material is. And uh, during, we, so we were coming off the barges here. Hundreds of us were running in the beaches with our guns firing, and they had dry ice machines trying to make it look real, realistic, except that we were all sweating because we were, it was so hot. We were just gasping. And I remember when I, when I read this scripture about God being a shelter uh, from the heat, I remember looking, we were always looking for trees. This is actually at the Picton Beach here, looking for trees to get under because we were so hot. And how many know that God wants to be a shelter uh, for us? Amen? And so uh, the key verse we want to start with this week is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 14. It says, Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing was happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. 
If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Now, I want you to understand something here with this passage. Um, When Peter is talking to the church here, he's saying, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial. This trial has to do with persecution for our faith. Okay? It's not the trial. People use this verse and say, well, don't think it's strange that you got cancer and that you're sick and that uh, you're being tempted by sin because we all go through trials. That's not the trial we're talking about here. This trial is actually a trial of persecution. When people make fun of you for the name of Christ and when they, oh, they're the more righteous than, you know, and they make fun of us. That's the kind of reproach, that's the kind of trial we're talking about here. It's not sickness, it's not temptation to sin, it's not your spouse. Well, Lord, she's my crutch, you know, I just have to suffer for Jesus. No, that's not what we're talking about, okay? Storms come to everyone, right? But God is our refuge. He's our safe place. Last Sunday, we talked about the first storm, the first storm we talked about, how many remember last Sunday? We talked about how the disciples, were with Jesus and the disciples were on one side of the lake, and they had finished off an assignment. And Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. And they got in a boat, and they were traveling across the lake from one assignment to the next assignment. And in the middle of the lake, there was a great storm that came. You guys remember that? And the storm came, and they were dreadfully afraid. Well, Jesus was sleeping sleeping in the boat, and they said, Jesus, don't you care about us? Why don't you wake up? Why don't you help us? So Jesus wakes up, and what does he do? He rebukes the storm. And so the first storm that we, we, we uh, deal with is what we call spiritual warfare storms. They're satanic attacks. So, so you're trying to get through life. You're going from one assignment to the next, and the enemy will come and try to bring sickness, bring temptation, uh, you know, bring issues in your life, financially, whatever it is, to attack you and keep you from getting to your next assignment. How many know they were going across the lake because Jesus was going to cast devils out of a demoniac who had a legion of demons in him? And so the enemy wanted to stop them. Well, I want to say this. If, if the enemy's trying to stop you... We have the name of Jesus has been given to us so that we can take authority over those storms of life. How many hear what I'm saying? If there's a demonic attack coming against you, you can stand up and say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke this attack on my marriage. I rebuke this attack on my kids. I rebuke this financial you know, onslaught. I take authority in the name of Jesus. And you move on to your assignment. We've been given that authority. So these guys, they get to the other side of the lake. Jesus casts the devils out of the guy. All the devils go into the pig, the pigs, and the pigs run off the cliff. And the owners of the pork industry come and say, you're not welcome here. You've killed our industry. Get out of here. Right? So Jesus says, okay, guys, get back in the boat. You're going to the other side again. I'm going to stay behind and pray. So Jesus is praying on the mountain. They go across. And this is where I want to pick up here. The second storm is a storm to test your faith. The first storm is, is an attack. The second storm is a storm to test your faith. Jesus sends his disciples ahead, and the Bible says, I can't remember if it was two miles or three miles, I think it was three miles, they were out from shore, okay? And this time, Jesus is not in the boat. They're out all alone, and the waves start coming, the wind starts coming, and Jesus is left behind, and they're scared. They're trying to row, they're trying to get back to the next assignment that God has for them. 
And suddenly they see Jesus coming on the water. And this is where I want to pick up here this morning. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. Let's go there. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. Next verse. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it's I, do not be afraid. Okay, next verse. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. Now, I love this. Because we have to see what Peter's doing here. I really stop and think about it. Because if it was me and I was Peter and I was in the boat, and I was looking for affirmation, I would say, okay, uh, okay, Jesus, if it's you, uh, what did we have for dinner last night? And, and, and then after we ate, who out of the 12 of us had gas and got kicked out of the tent? Like, give me some affirmation. I want to know that this is you, right? Or, or say, okay, we prayed for a guy yesterday. You laid hands on someone who had blind eyes. What did you put in his eyes, Jesus? Was it water? Was it dandelions? Was it mud? Or all of the above? You know what I mean? You'd be looking for affirmation, right? You proved to me that you're not a ghost and that you're Jesus. But he wasn't looking for affirmation. He was looking for demonstration. He was saying, here's, here's an opportunity for me to test my faith where everybody else was fine just sitting in the boat. He's like, here's my opportunity to test Jesus to see if I can do what he says. Now, this is very important. And so look what happens. And Peter answered to him and said, Lord, he doesn't say, Lord, prove it to you. He says, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. Okay? I, I want you to get this. Jesus, I think Peter saw that he walked with Jesus and he saw uh, that Jesus wasn't like the Pharisees and Sadducees. He, he, he taught with authority. And, and, and when Jesus commanded blind eyes to open, the eyes opened. When Jesus commanded the dead to come up, they came up, back to life. When Jesus commanded leprosy to leave, it le- and, and he was putting two and two together, and he's saying, when Jesus commands stuff, it, it, it has so much authority that you can walk on it. And you notice he doesn't say, ask me to come, Jesus. He says, command me. It's very important. And so... Jesus, Jesus has come to me, Peter. And so Peter steps out of the boat, and he stands on the word of God. It was the command of Jesus saying, come forth, that he put his faith in. And the words of Jesus have such authority that you can, they can hold you above the problems of life. They can hold you on the impossible situation. Say, I don't know, my marriage is in a bad place. I'm drowning. I don't know if it, it just, there's no answer to this problem. It's going to fall apart. And you say, but if God will only give me a command that I can hold on to, that I can walk with, then I'm able to walk through the storm without sinking. If only I had a command, something that God would speak to me that I could walk on, I'd have the, the, the solid foundation to walk on the problem instead of sinking in the problem. And so sometimes we're yelling and commanding the storm to leave because we think it's a spiritual attack, and really it's a testing of our faith. And instead of talking to God about our storms, we need to be saying, God, give me a word that I can hold on to that will bring me through the storm. I need something that you speak to my heart that I can trust. Just give me one word. I told you my story when I had mental attacks when I first got out of Bible school. I said, God, give me a word I can hold on to. And every day I got up and he gave me 1 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy, but love, power, 
and a well-disciplined mind. And I quoted that every day, no matter how I felt. And I said, that's the promise that I'm going to stand on. I'm going to walk on that promise. And after about a year, my mind was completely healed. And, and so, so I'm saying that we need to say, God, give me a word that I can walk on, that I can trust in, that can take me across the storms of life and keep me from sinking. Can I hear an amen? And so, verse 29, so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And so he didn't keep his eyes on Jesus. Like how many know Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith? We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And we don't deny the problems. How many know you'll always see the storm in your peripheral vision? You'll see it going on. But your focus has to be Jesus. You have to put your foot on his word and begin to walk towards him. But Peter began to look to the left, to the right. And he began to sink. Amen? And... We see this passage here in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 to 27. It says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Let your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. And so he's walking on the word and he began to look at the problem and he began to sink. And I just wanted to encourage you today to recognize this, that, say, the first storm is a satanic attack. The second type of storm is to test your faith. It's to pull you out of your comfort zone so that you can learn to trust God. Okay? And so um, I want to look at a third type of storm. How many want to see the third type of storm? Go with me to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgments against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. And so the Lord gave Jonah his next assignment. Okay, And uh, when you know that you're supposed... How, how many have ever got to a place where you know that you know that you know you're supposed to do something and then you don't do it? Right? You just, you just know in your spirit, I'm supposed to do something, and you don't do it, okay? That's what I'm talking about. He gave a command to Noah, to, or to Jonah, to move forward, okay? And here's the thing. The Lord speaks to everyone. He speaks to believers. He speaks to atheists. He speaks to people who are part of other religions. My Bible says on the day of Pentecost, he poured out his spirit upon all flesh. But not all flesh is listening. But I can guarantee you that God is always speaking. I had a story when I was pastoring up in Madoc, or working in Madoc as a machinist, pastoring in Kingston. And I was working there, and this guy comes up to me. He's a young guy, maybe in his 20s. He said, Pastor, uh, I heard you're a pastor. He said, yeah. can I talk to you about God? And I said, yeah, what's your background? Do you go to church? He goes, no, I have no background, and I don't know anything about God. But I think he spoke to me. I said, tell me about it. He said, well, last year, uh, my friends called me. He said, hey, we're going to a party. We're coming to pick you up. And so he goes, oh, I was so excited. I'm going to a party. He goes, I got all dressed up, and, and I was excited going out for the night. And as the car pulled into the driveway, I was going out the door, and I, got, I had this 
I don't know how to explain. I just knew that I knew that I knew. Don't get in that car. And he said, I got filled with fear. And it was like, I can't get in the car, guys. I'm sorry. I've got something's up. And he refused to go to the party. And that night, there was an accident. That car, people were injured. I think someone died. I can't remember the exact story, but it was bad. And he said to me, he said, I, I don't think about God, but I think God spoke to me. And he goes, can you tell me about him? And I told him the gospel and brought Jesus to him. How many know that God is speaking to people? You say, I don't believe God talks to unsaved people. Well, you got saved, didn't you? God was talking to you. God is always talking, right? Um, so God will talk. And Paul, Paul confirmed this in Acts chapter 17, verse 27 and 28. He said, God's purpose was for the nations to seek after him, perhaps to feel their way towards him, though he's not far from any one of us. God is not far. He's a breath away from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Okay? And so how many know that God is always speaking? God is always giving direction. God is always trying to bring correction. But not everybody's listening. All right? And so God speaks to Jonah. So let's read on. Verse 3. But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, I have talked to people on the street about Jesus, and they walk in the opposite direction to get away from the presence of the Lord. I've, got, I've preached and I've watched Christians get convicted as I'm sharing the word, and they get up and they walk away from the presence of the Lord because they don't want to hear it. And it says here, Jonah got up, walked away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to the port in Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. He was running from God. Okay? And I want to say this. Jonah was not running from God because he was afraid. Jonah had an inner conflict. Because the Assyrians and Nineveh, these people, um, were, were enemies of Israel and, and caused bondage. And uh, there, were, there was a lot of bad blood between those two people groups. And they were very oppressive. And Jonah, Jonah had a, a conflict in his heart because he's like, I'd like to see judgment come. I'm not going to warn them. I'm bitter towards them. They deserve justice. Let God send somebody else. I'm going, I'm going in the opposite direction because he had inner conflict. He didn't want to forgive. He didn't want to show mercy. All right? And so he ran from God. You know, I ran from God from the time that I was 14 to 19. And I, was, I had praying parents who were praying for me all the time. And I couldn't even have fun sinning. I mean, everywhere I went, it was like bad things happened. Like I'd get in my car and I'd drive down the road and I'd see a cop car get on the highway. And there's like 100 cars. I'm like, he's going to get me. And sure enough, he'd pull me over for no reason, and then give me a hard time. And it was like, I was always getting pulled over by cops. I'd go to parties, and I'd be the nicest person there, and I'd be the one getting in a fight. Uh, you know, I, I just, it was a bad buzz. Everywhere I went, I couldn't even have fun. And I was like, God, my parents got to stop praying. Because <laughs> God was allowing storms to come into my life and letting my life be miserable because I was running from the presence of the Lord. Because I had inner conflict. I didn't want... To listen to God. How many have been there? And I ran from the Lord. Verse 4. Let's look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm. How many know that God, he loves you so much 
that sometimes he'll send a violent wind over your sea to cause a storm because he's compassionate. He wants to see you on the right track. And that threatened to break the ship apart. The ship was being torn back and forth. And as you know, they were all, in the, they were, all the people on the ship were, were afraid. They're like, what are we going to do? Who's ticked off their God, please? Like, we've got to figure out what's going on. And they're talking, hey, who's, who, who's doing the wrong thing? And then they came to Jonah. They said, Jonah, what are you doing? And he says, well, you know, they, they cast lots. And they said, okay, Jonah, you're, you're the guy who's guilty. And Jonah says, well, you know, I'm running from the presence of God. I don't want to go where God wants me to go. So just throw me overboard. I'd rather die than listen to God. Just kill me. Throw me in the sea and the storm will stop. And so they said, we're not going to kill you. He's suicidal, right? And the storm wouldn't stop. So finally they said, Father, forgive us or God, forgive us. And they threw him into the water and the storm stopped. And then God sent a giant fish come and swallowed him up. And he died in the belly of the fish. Read the passage. Uh, that's your homework assignment. He didn't, you can't live for three days in the belly of a whale. It's just there's no oxygen. He died. God resurrected him, spit him up on the shore, and he had to, an assignment to do. Isn't that awesome? And so he goes to Nineveh because he's repented in the belly of the fish before he dies. And he pops up on the shore, and now he's going to preach the gospel. And so he goes and he preaches the gospel to Nineveh, and Nineveh repents. The king repents. They fast, and they pray, and they repent for their sins. And let's look at Jonah's response in Jonah chapter 4. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Like, he had already had a conversation with God about this. Didn't I say before I left home, you would do this? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. God is eager to turn back. God doesn't want to destroy people. And Jonah knew this. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. How many see that Jonah had some issues here? <laughs> Jonah had bitterness issues. Jonah had unforgiveness. He had angry, anger issues. And what was happening is, and we talk about this in the highway to wholeness, is this word iniquity. Iniquity is an appetite for sin that lives within. It's a bending or a leaning towards a desire. For example... Someone looks at pornography, I gave this example in the first service, and they feel convicted and they go and say, Father, forgive me, I should never have done that. But then two days later, that desire draws them back to do it again. Iniquity will drive you to a place where you will sin against God. So iniquity and sin are two different things. Iniquity is an appetite for sin. And how many know as believers, New Testament believers, not only can you be forgiven of your sin, God can take those desires out of you. He can give you a new heart so you don't desire it anymore. And Jonah had some bitterness issues. He had iniquities of bitterness. He had unforgiveness. He had anger issues, right? And uh, my question is, what iniquities are keeping you from the will of God? Maybe the Lord has spoken to you and said, I really want you to be the one to go and make things right with that brother, with that sister. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you about 
bringing reconciliation in an area, and you're like, you know, they really deserve to suffer, so I'm not going to be the one. You know, God, you know, I'm going to run from you. And you go the opposite direction from the presence of the Lord. Because God is trying to, God ultimately wants to get you to your next assignment. God cares about you. God, God's trying to get iniquity out of you. And the only way you can get it out is when you say, I'm going to not listen to it. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to step out onto his word and God will remove the iniquity. Can I hear an amen? And that's what God is doing. And I find it very interesting how much God loves this Jonah guy. If you read the story, he was messed up. He's running from God. So here's the lake. He's going in this direction. And he's supposed to be going over here to Nineveh. So he's in the middle of the lake. God gets him thrown overboard. He sends the first submarine. Doot, 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 right? And swallows up Jonah and puts him in sub under the mission that God has and brings him to his destination. That's how much he cared for him. Put him in submission. And um, so the third storm, say the third storm, is to correct and redirect. And so let's bring up this slide here. So there's three types of storms. You can take a picture with your phone, so you can, you can pray about this this week. So three types, types of storm. It's either spiritual warfare. It's a faith-building storm that you can step out on and take opportunity. Or third, it's a storm that God's sending to correct and to redirect you into his purposes, all right? And so what I'd like you to do even this week is to go before the Lord. And here's the thing. You say, I don't know what kind of storm I'm in. Well, that's why you can come and see one of the elders. We'll sit down and pray with you, and we'll find, figure out what it is. Or you can even talk to a brother or sister in the Lord, go to connect groups, say, hey, I'm going through this. What do you think it is? And let's pray. Because God wants you to have victory. God wants you to grow in your faith. God wants you to walk on the storms of life. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So why don't we stand? Father, I just pray for your people, God, and you are the shelter. You're the hiding place in the storm. God, I pray that you would just release us a spirit of discernment that we would know as your people when storms come. Is it just a satanic attack that we need to take authority over? Is it something we need to learn to step out and walk on? Or are you trying to correct and redirect us? Are you dealing with our hearts? God, I pray that you would speak to us this week as we go before you in prayer, God. If there are storms in our lives, God, those storms are going to be used to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If, if you're listening to this, if you're watching by live stream, and you say, I don't know uh, if I was to die, if I'd go to be with Jesus. I want you to know that God, I shared this in the first service. How many have ever played checkers? Okay. Or you can play chess. The main rule is you can't make two moves. You got to make one move, and then you wait for the next person to make their move. Well, the Bible says we, we move because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. So we've made our move. And then God said, Well, I'll send my only begotten son. And he moved his only begotten son forward for the sins of the world. Whose move is it now? It's our move. And people say, well, no, I want God to do more for me. No, he's already 
he can only make one move. Now it's your turn. You need to repent, which means turn from your sin. And then his next move is he covers you with his blood and he saves your soul. And so many people say, I, I, you know what? I just want God to do more for me. I want, want God to prove himself. No, he's done all he's going to do. He sent his son. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so if you don't know Jesus right now, you can by just coming before him and saying, Father, forgive me for my sins. I accept Jesus as my sacrifice. And if that's you, you've never done that. I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to ask everyone here, just pray this with me. There might be someone who's never prayed this. And if you pray it and mean it, and then confidently tell others you've done it, you will be saved. With the mouth, confession is made. With the heart, one believes unto righteousness. So let's pray. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Forgive me for my sins. Send your spirit to live in me. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you said that and you you meant it, the Holy Spirit moves in and changes you from the inside out. It's awesome. One of the things that um, this woman we saw getting baptized, she said to us before the baptism, she said, I'm so excited. I feel like I'm getting married. And my wife had the opportunity to pray with her maybe three weeks ago and lead her to the Lord. And she said, I just talk to Jesus all day and I feel he's with me. And it's about a relationship. He took care of our sin so we could be in relationship with him. So I want to, God bless you guys this week as you go. If you want any prayer, I'll be here at the front to pray with you. And um, have a blessed week. Amen. God bless. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.